to uh, Luke chapter 22. We're going to look actually at uh, three portions of Scripture today, just to give you a little heads up. We're going to look at Luke 22, we're going to look at Matthew, uh, John, rather, John 18, and then we're going to look at John chapter 21. So, you know, I, that's the, that's the uh, trailer for today's message. All right, Luke chapter 22, I want to begin reading at verse 31. This is a familiar portion of scripture, I'm sure, to most of us. Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now let's just go back to verse 31 for a moment and notice, notice here that Jesus refers to this man we know as Simon Peter. He refers to him by the name Simon. Now Jesus had changed his name. Remember in Matthew chapter 16 at Caesarea Philippi where uh, Jesus asked the question, who do men say that I am? And they gave various answers. And then Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? And it's, it's, it's this one Simon who speaks up and says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, Simon, you, you ain't smart enough to figure that out. He says, but it's my Father who is in heaven that has given you that revelation. And then he, he changes his name. He says, you are Peter, which means rock. But here, later, He's not referring to him as Peter. He's not referring to him as rock. He's referring to him as Simon. Now, names in the Bible, as you probably know, carry significance. And the the name Simon is actually taken from a word meaning reed. Remember, they speak of John the Baptist. And, they, and Jesus said, when you went out to see John the Baptist, did you expect to see a reed blowing in the wind? You see, a reed blows in the wind. It vacillates back and forth. That's a lot different than a rock. And when you read about Simon, he was one who vacillated back and forth. And Jesus says, you're a rock. Now the problem was, because Jesus changed his name, he thought he was a rock. Now he was going to be made into a rock 
But he wasn't there yet. He was still like a reed. And Jesus, by the use of that name, is, is kind of reminding him and reminding us about his character. And Jesus says here that Satan has demanded... Actually, the Greek is, indicates that he has asked permission because the devil can do nothing that God does not permit. God is the one who's in control. He's asked permission that he might sift you like wheat. Now, the idea of sifting wheat, the way they did that in ancient times, was they would, would take the wheat and they would throw it up in the air and they would let the the wind blow the chaff from the grain. And he's using that analogy here for what Satan wants to do to Simon. Now, how many of you know the devil is God's devil? How many of you know he uses Satan to accomplish his purposes. God was, was, was working something in the life of this Simon Peter. That there was going to be this shifting, this sifting, this sifting of, of the, the, the real from the false. Because you see, the problem is he thought he was living in reality about himself. And he wasn't living in reality about himself. He said, I am willing to go to prison and to death with you. Now, when he said that, I believe that he believed that was true. I think that's how he saw himself. But he was living in an unreality about himself. And God had to do something to bring him to a place of reality concerning himself. Now he says, when all this is done, he said, I want you to strengthen your brothers. How many of you are blessed by the sifting that took place in the life of Simon Peter? Say, here we are some 2,000 years later, you know, we're reading this story. And, you know, when somebody gets up and they're going to talk on Peter, you know they're, where they're going to go, right? They're going to go to this thing that he denied the Lord. Now, of course, that's not where the story ends, but it's an important part of the story. Now, I want you to go with me to John chapter 18. Let's read about that. It's in John chapter 18, and uh, I'm going to begin at, uh, let's see, I'm going to begin at verse 15. So follow along with me if you would. I'm reading, by the way, from the English Standard Version. You may have another translation. That's okay. You can still follow along here. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus 
into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire. I want you to take note of of that little thing that's mentioned there. A charcoal fire, because we're going to come back to that. Because there's a little bit of a literary device that uh, John is using here with this idea of the charcoal fire. Just remember, when you think of this incident, where is this taking place? It's taking place around a charcoal fire. He says, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Then we have verse 19. And, the, and here the, 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 the story shifts. And it shifts for a very important reason. Because now we go to Jesus standing before the high priest. The high priest then questioned Jesus and his disciples and uh, about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is this how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Now, I want you to see what you have here. Again, what John is showing us is this contrast between Peter and Jesus. Who's who's Jesus standing before? Jesus is standing before the most powerful people in Jerusalem. Later, he comes before Pontius Pilate, and and you see when he stands before Pontius Pilate, he, he, he doesn't wilt, if you know what I mean, when he's confronted by these powerful, influential personalities. But what do we have with Peter? Peter is not dealing with powerful people. He's not dealing with influential people. He's dealing with people who are on the opposite rung of the power and authority scale in Jerusalem. 
He's dealing with servants, slaves. Verse 25, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Notice, they're they're not challenging him, they're just asking him. The servant girl has just asked him, Are you one of his disciples? I mean, there's no confrontation behind that. It's just a simple question from someone who is totally powerless. But this one who said, Jesus, listen, I am willing to go with you to prison and to death, is denying the Lord before these powerless people. How many of you know he thought he was much stronger than he was? The the wheat is being sifted. The chaff is being blown away. And Peter is seeing himself. The reality of his weakness is being revealed. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Asks, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. So we have this story here of Peter's failure. Of his denial. Now, before we go on with the rest of this story, I want to tell you another story. This is, a, this, is, this is not a story in the Bible. This is a story taken from the sports world. It's the story about the 1929 Rose Bowl. Back in 1929, the Rose Bowl was the premier football game of the year. It was, it was the Super Bowl of its day. This is before the NFL. This is when college football was definitely premier. And the, and the big event was on January 1st, the Rose Bowl game. And in the Rose Bowl game of 1929, there were two teams playing. One was the University of California, and they were playing against Georgia Tech. Now, Georgia Tech had the ball on the 30-yard line. It was toward the end of the second quarter. At this point in the game, there was no score. And Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. Now, playing for the University of California was a man by the name of Roy Regal. Roy Regals is the one who recovers that fumble and he runs the ball 69 yards in the wrong direction. The Georgia Tech coach yelled to his players, let him go. He was being chased down the field 
by his own teammates trying to stop him. They finally stop him at the one-yard line. And when he turns around, he's mobbed by the Georgia Tech team and tackled. The ball is there on the one-yard line. Well, University of California decides to punt, and when they, they go back to punt, the punt is blocked, ends up a safety, and Georgia Tech now leads two to nothing. The end of the first half. Roy Regals and his teammates go into the locker room. There's just utter silence. No one says anything. Roy goes into the corner and is crying. At the end of the first half, the coach gets up. And he says, the players that started the first half are going to start the second half. And Roy Regal stands up and he says, Coach, I can't go back out there. I've let down the team. I've let down the university. I've let you as the coach down. I can't go back out there. And the coach says to Roy, he says, Roy, you made a bad play, but you're not a bad player. There's a whole second half to this game. And you can go out there and you can redeem yourself in the second half. And Roy Regals did. He went out in that second half and he blocked a punt and, and, and he played like a maniac in that second half. Now, the University of California didn't win that game. But the next season, they elected Roy Regals to be the captain of their team. Now, he was known as Roy Wrong Way Regals. But you know, after he left college, he had a career as a motivational speaker. Um, he traveled around the country giving speeches about how you don't need to give up just because you made a bad play. You made a bad play, but you're not a bad player. Now that's a powerful message to us, isn't it? And that's the message that we have with the story of Simon Peter. Now, I want you to go with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and the beginning of this chapter, the, John chapter 21 is really the epilogue. It's the epilogue to the, the gospel of John because really the, 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 excuse me, the climax... Not a bad player. I'll get rehooked up here. The, the thing about John chapter 21, actually, John's gospel ends 
with the resurrection of Christ. But with the resurrection of Christ, you still have some loose ends here. Because we all know what happened and how Peter had denied Jesus, but but what happens now? What is the relationship between Jesus and this disciple of his who has denied him? If you remember in Mark's gospel, which by the way, if you you understand Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel is really Peter's gospel. Peter is the one who is giving the information, the eyewitness information to to Mark. And, And in Mark's gospel, we have an interesting thing, that when the angel tells the women, go tell my disciples and Peter. Peter is singled out. Why? Because Jesus has a special message for Peter. Because of Peter's denial, because of Peter's failure, Jesus has a special word for him. He wants him to know, you are are welcome back. You made a bad play but you're not a bad player. Now, in in John chapter 21, John gives us what takes place here when Jesus shows up on the Sea of Galilee. And we all know this story. We've all read this, I'm sure, where where they're out fishing and Jesus comes and, and, and he tells them to cast the net onto the other side and they bring in this great load of fish and so forth. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look with me at verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire. See, what John is wanting us to do by using that, by saying that, is he wants us to remember the other charcoal fire, right? This is the only two times he talks about a charcoal fire. John 18, John 21. All right? Now, drop down with me. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I don't know, and you know, you look in commentaries, they don't know. What did did Jesus mean, love me more than these? Was he saying these other disciples? Was he saying these Nets, these boats, this fishing equipment. Do you love me more than you do your career as a fisherman? We don't know. But Jesus asked this question, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, here's what we don't see in the English Bible. Because we're reading this in English... If you see it in Greek, it's a little different. Because I think most of you probably heard, there's more than one word in the Greek language for love. The word 
that Jesus uses when he says, do you love me, is the Greek word agape. How many of you have heard of the Greek word agape? Agape is the highest level of love. Jesus is saying, do you love me with agape love? Now, Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, when he uses the word love, he's not using the word agape. Peter is responding with the Greek word phileo, which is a word that means brotherly love. It's, it's, a, it's a good word. It's a word that in the, in the New Testament is affirmed as a good word, but it's still not on the same level as agape. It's like, it's like if, if, if your wife or your girlfriend or your husband or your boyfriend said to you, do you love me? And you respond back and said, well, you know I like you. How many of you know? <laughs> uh, it's not quite the same. Right? But that is the way that, that, that Peter is responding. Peter is saying, Lord, you know, I phileo. I love you. So, Jesus says to him again. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And again, we have the same thing. We have Jesus using agape, Peter using the word phileo. What's going on here? How many of you know that before Peter's sifting as wheat would have responded, do you love me? Oh, yes, you know I love you. He would have responded with agape. Why? Because he saw himself as the most committed the best, the most devoted of Jesus' disciples. But now, Peter's come into some reality about himself. The one who said, I'm willing to go to prison and to death with you, has come to realize, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. There's been a change that has happened in Simon Peter. He realizes his weakness. He realizes he realizes some things about himself that he didn't know before. Failure has a way of awakening in us to our real self. Because we can live in an illusion about who we are. And failure has a way of bringing us into reality. 
Jesus asks him again, third time. I want you to see, there are three, three times around the charcoal fire in John 18, Jesus denied, I mean, Peter denied Jesus. Now, three times around the charcoal fire, right? What do we have? Three affirmations from Peter. So Jesus asks him again, do you love me? And now, Jesus doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. And the response from Peter, the response from Peter is, Lord, you know everything. How many of you know he does know everything? He says, you know that I love you. Again, phileo. See, the Bible is showing us here about a work that had to take place in the life of Simon Peter, a failure that had to take place in order for him to become the man that Jesus had called him to be. And sometimes what we have to go through in life is we have to meet with some failure. Sometimes we have to be the one that ends up running the ball in the wrong direction. I've done that. Eleven years ago, I met with a great failure in my life that I thought my ministry was totally over because of that failure. But what I've come to realize is that was only in the first half. Now, out of my failure, God opened up some interesting doors to me. I'd been pastoring for 20 25 years or so. And one of the things that, that out of my failure and, and just the changes that were wrought by that, God had another place for me. And one of the things that God brought me into was, was working with guys, as Jonathan mentioned, in prison. And over the last several years, that's been a good part of what I've done. And I want to share with you I want to share you about, about one, one guy that I'm discipling right now in the, in the, in the state prison. He's part of a, of a discipleship group that I have. I'm in the prison about four days a week. I'm with this guy four days. I, I, I'm, in fact, I think I've spent more time with him and some of the others that are part of that group than I've spent with, uh, with many people that I've pastored over the years. And this guy, the reason I'm going to share about him is because he would be known in the Manhattan area. In fact, he'd been an athlete. He'd been played at K-State. Played on the football team here. 
He ended up going into business and was a successful businessman and so forth. I give you his name, but I, 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 I didn't ask his permission to do that, so I'm not going to. But, but he ended up in an immoral situation, which was not only an immoral situation, it was a criminal situation. And he's ended up in prison. But I, I look at this guy, and the work that I have seen God do in his life out of that failure, a heart of contrition, I mean, this guy's going to be getting out in about 14 months. I asked him the other day, I said, what are you going to do when you get out? He says, well, he said, I want to, I want to start a ministry to help other men. Because I want to use my failure to turn my brothers because some of the things that I deal, dealt with are what they're dealing with. And he tends to write a book. I pray that he gets the opportunity to do that. But he's an example of someone who made a bad play. But God is a redeemer. How many of you know that's what God loves to do? Yeah. Is to redeem situations and turn things around. And in and, and Romans 8.28, this I know, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I want to share another story, just very briefly, about another person that would be known in this area. It's particularly, if you're, you have any military guys here? Any military people? Yeah, this guy, I mean, this was in the news. I will give his name. He's a, he's a guy, he's, he's not a close friend of mine, but he is an acquaintance. Wayne Grigsby. Wayne Grigsby was the, the, the commander of the 1st Division who was relieved because he got into an immoral situation as well. His whole military career came to an end. I knew Wayne when he was in, in Leavenworth. In fact, my wife and I attended the, the ceremony when he was made a brigadier general. And uh, Wayne really came to know the Lord there in Leavenworth due to the influence of a guy who had been one of his battalion commanders over in Iraq. And Wayne ended up in a situation. He made a bad play. And there are consequences to what he did. Sometimes we have to live out the consequences. But my, I have a very, very close friend who is a good friend with Wayne. In fact, he's the pastor of the church that Wayne attended in Leavenworth. And Wayne is, 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 Wayne is in the process now of restoring his life back with the Lord. And really, Wayne Grigsby is very seriously considering going into the ministry, going to seminary and going into the ministry. Just another story about how 
God is in the business of redeeming people. The message to us today, the message I'm carrying to you today is this. Don't let your past failures determine your future. Yeah, most of us have made a bad play. Maybe we've made more than one. But you know what? God is a redeemer. There's a whole second half or more to play. And don't let your past determine your future. Learn the lessons as Simon Peter did and move on. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for for this, this story we have of Peter. And Lord, how out of that story you speak to us. That even as you told him, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you today that we can find strength out of Peter's failure. We thank you today that you are a redeeming God. That Lord, whatever situations, whatever failures that are represented here in this room, Lord, we thank you that you're bigger than that. Lord, help all of us to learn the lessons Help us to take those things and apply them to your honor and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Jonathan?